0: Hey, thanks so much for joining me on Between the Two of Us, a mental health podcast. I'm your host, Jen Alley, a licensed professional counselor, wife, and mom. In this podcast, we will talk about modern day life as it relates to your mental health. Drawing on my professional experiences of being a therapist the last 14 years, my background in education, and my personal experiences, I want to help you feel less alone in your struggles while teaching you what I wish everyone knew about brain science and mental health. While this podcast isn't therapy, I will offer practical tools and strategies grounded in neuroscience to improve your relationships, life, and mental wellness. Thanks so much for listening. Grab your cup of coffee or your walking shoes, and let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to Between the Two of Us. This is your host, Jen Alley, and I am excited today to share with you an interview that I did with Bess Hilbert. She is an amazing person and the author of Finding I, A Journey of Repair. And I did want to give a trigger warning. We will be talking today about some sensitive issues, including domestic and sexual violence, as well as childhood abuse, and also about suicidal ideation. So please listen um, with caution. Make sure that you are taking good care of yourself and also making sure that there's not small ears listening. Thanks so much. And let's dive into today's show. We are joined today with Bess Hilpert, and she is the author of Finding I, A Journey of Repair. And so we're so glad to have you with us, and we're so grateful that you're sharing your story with us today.
1: Thank you, Jen. I'm honored to be here. Thank uh, you.
0: Of course. So, Bess, I wondered first if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and about who kind of the I that you feel like you are now like who are you and just tell us a little bit about what you do and and then we're going to get into kind of also and if you want to share this now too about why you wrote this book um thank you
1: um first of all I'm a wife I'm a mother and a grandmother I'm a swim coach um I'm an author and a writer and I'm A soul just trying to get it right. Mm -hmm. I wrote Finding I uh, as a result of an urging in my heart, a voice that kept asking me to tell my story, to open the door for other people um, who may have experienced adverse childhood experiences, childhood trauma in any form, a door for them to begin to see themselves
0: in my story, and not feel so alone. Yeah, absolutely. And best for those of our listeners who don't know, can you tell us what aces or what what you know what those are? Those adverse childhood experiences. Um, Dr. Vincent Filetti and Dr. Robert
1: Anda um, did a study in the '80s th- with um, Kaiser Permanente. And it was a 20-year study, and they developed this questionnaire, um, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Questionnaire, and it's 10 questions. And it queries whether or not you experienced childhood sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, Mm -hmm. neglect in any of those forms, if there was drug use in the house, if anyone was incarcerated, Mm -hmm. if your parents um, were divorced or separated, all of these various different things um, causing trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm an eight out of 10 on the ACEs scale, but they've also over time demonstrated that people who have experienced childhood trauma suffer greatly throughout their life with mental health issues, as well as physical ailments. You know, they've linked it now with cancer and heart disease and asthma and autoimmune diseases. So not holding it in and being able to share is very important in one's healing process.
0: Yeah, I'd love to hear about what your experience has been like as you've – I know you've had a lot of therapy over the years. You've done a lot of different things to work toward healing. But what has – what was writing the book like? And also what has it been like to have the book out and you write a newsletter? And what is it like to share your story? That's a
1: wonderful question. Thank you. I believe that through
0: the writing of Finding I,
1: and all the research that went into it, I did begin to experience a level of healing that I had not been able to experience before. There is so much more that we know now about the neurobiology of trauma and its effects on children that was not available as I was growing up and moved into adulthood. So I learned a lot, and through that, Uh, also tried new therapies and have found healing but I think that at the end of the day as they say having shared my story and then making it safe for other people to share their story with me I have found the most profound sense of safety where I would be in a social situation and it would be the the only thing I really could do would be to disassociate yeah of course But now I can be in a social situation and those people around me know my story and they see me Mm -hmm. and I feel held and I feel loved and I do not feel as afraid Mm -hmm. as I would have prior to writing Finding I.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's profound. And I think, you know, something we were talking about before we started recording is just a little bit about, you know, the expectations around healing. And and so I did want to kind of side note for our listeners that Bess has done so much work around healing and and she has made so much progress. And also like all of us, you know, our trauma will continue to impact us in various ways. And so I just want to say that that if you're someone who has done a lot of work on yourself and who has been through a lot and um, you're not failing if you continue to have some symptoms. That feels important to say. Do you have any thoughts about that, Bess? Oh, Jen, that's so beautiful.
1: Yes, I have done a lot of healing, but it's still hard every day. Totally. I see the world through a different lens um, as a result of the trauma. So it doesn't go away. But knowing I'm not alone gives me the strength to face each day where before it had reached points where it was very difficult to face a new day.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So thank you. I don't think that th- that there's any particular panacea, any particular pill, any particular mm-hmm. therapy, um, but, each, but each of those things help us get further along our own personal journey
0: that's so true yeah that's so true could you tell us a little bit about the title finding i and what made you i mean i think i know because i've read the book but can you tell our listeners who maybe haven't read the book yet um why you chose that title so i did
1: experience a sexual abuse um physical abuse emotional abuse neglect from a very very early age And so in order to escape, I would, you know, the pain of whatever the abuse might be, I would tend to leave my body, float to the ceiling um, in a way to disengage from the reality of what my body was going through. Mm -hmm. And I think that with each inappropriate touch, each verbal denigration, each hit, more and more of the eye of me, the soul of me was stolen. And so then, you know, I went out into life and I then experienced multiple rapes and multiple situations that, you know, made it Difficult to really know who I was, and um, but there was something inside of me that knew that there was an I, but I didn't know how to find that I. Mm. I think that I would become a different person based on whatever situation I was
0: in, sure, just to manage it. Sure, to try to belong, to try to be safe, yes. to be accepted. Sure. So
1: I tried on a lot of different faces. Yeah. And I did a lot of different things in my life. Yeah. Um. Totally makes sense. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um. So along that um, journey, there was this thing inside of me that was really uh, – th- th- my mother had great faith and I wanted to figure out what the heck that word faith meant because she too was abused, but she was able to hold on to some center. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, I wanted to find that. I wanted to know that, I mattered. That mm-hmm. there was something deep inside of me that could hold me, that could would love me, mm-hmm. care for me. And um, writing the book took me on that journey of truly, finally, knowing that there is an I in me, mm-hmm. and that I am loved, and that I do deserve to be here. And um, I want that for everyone. I want to protect children. I want them to have their eye. I want them to stand tall. I want them to not be afraid in this incredibly fearful world. I hope I answered your question. I think you
0: totally (laughs) did. No, that's beautiful. So you mentioned your mom, and I started making a list when I was reading um, the book of you know, Bonnie Badenock. I don't know if you're familiar with Bonnie Badenock. She is one of my mentors, um, and I've trained with her, and she wrote The Heart of Trauma. Mm. And um, she also does a lot of kind of neuroscience and then training therapists. And one of the things she talks about is nurturing pairs and then also wounded pairs. And so we have within us these different experiences and you have a lot of them, a lot of wounding parts, you know, different experiences that live inside of your body and your mind, you know, from all these different really painful experiences. And you also have these really nurturing pairs and nurturing things that gave you life and that have helped you along the way. And so one of them is your mom. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your mom? Mm -hmm.
1: I believe that my mom was a saint. (laughs) She loved everyone. She just operated and came from a place of love. I am one of 13 children, and every single one of my siblings felt as if they were the most important person when they were with my mother Mm -hmm. Um, in the last final years of my mother's life uh, she had Alzheimer's and even when it came to the point where she didn't know any one of us she just loved us all the same Mm -hmm. and she truly was a woman of deep deep faith and not in many words Mm -hmm. but tremendous love and Deep faith, and I am sure that that is what kept me alive and kept me going when I didn't know if I could keep going.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There were also, it seems like, a lot of other um, things, including exercise, and yes. include, you know, including. Um, playing basketball from the time you were young, you talked about Christine. So I don't. I have a whole list of things that you talked about, but I wonder if there's any that kind of stand out to you of other things that have really, you know, helped you to survive the trauma that you experienced throughout your life.
1: Well, movement, without question, movement um, has played and continues to play a critical role in uh, my being able to self-regulate um, long before I even knew what that word meant and that my nervous system would s- so out of whack. Um, like you said, when I was young, I played uh, little hoops basketball. Um, I ran, I became a marathoner, an ultra marathoner and uh, until I could no longer run due to some physical issues. Um, But a therapist, a psychiatrist once said to me that he believes that running and the physical activity saved my life. Um, And now I swim. And it's, it's imperative that I start my day with a swim just to balance the hormones in my brain. So movement is... Is, is actually pretty critical to uh, my mental health. It's funny because last week you talked on your podcast about keeping your house clean. <laughs> Something <laughs> I'm always trying to do. <laughs> and I have to say I am now that my children are, are grown I, I do everything I can to keep my house clean because it keeps my brain calm. Mm-hmm and um so i really so that's also you know something that i do and um i am not good at conflict Mm. i do try to avoid conflict
0: and i have a feeling that's because it feels safer in your body right we try to pursue safety in our and so somehow it makes sense right with everything that you've been through and with all the Um, you know, domestic violence growing up, I think it makes sense that uh, conflict probably feels really scary in your body.
1: Yes, very much so. Yes. That's a great way to put it. Yes, thank you.
0: Yeah. And I will say, so like
1: my mom, and there was a woman, her name was Christine, and um, she helped my mom uh, with the cleaning of our house. She made me feel safe. She would hold me, she would get me, she would rock me
2: mm.
1: when no one else would. Mm. Um, and then when I went out into the world, there was a a, a man, his name was Sugar Bear, mm. and he made me feel safe when my world truly was not safe and I was living on the street or mm. in an apartment with no front door and... Um, But he would come and he would sleep at my house in a chair just to make sure that I knew that I was safe. Mm -hmm. I will forever be grateful to Sugar Bear and to Christine for all they did for me. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, meeting my husband, Ed, and learning Mm -hmm. that I am lovable.
0: Yes. That's a beautiful story. Do you want to share about how you met your Nordic man?
1: <laughs> in one of my lives, in one of my jobs. I was an exercise physiologist and um, I had a, a business in Los Angeles and New York which I closed down to go back to school um, in hopes of getting an MD, PhD in a field at that time called psychoneuroimmunology. Um which deals with how our emotions affect the neurotransmitters in our brain and thus influence our immune system. Mm. So while I was at university, I also still had to work. And so I was teaching classes at a local gym. And uh, one day after um, I finished my class, I was on a StairMaster and my Some of the people that took my class were on Stairmasters next to me. And there was this man that always came at lunch and used a Nordic track. But they were shooting a commercial that day, and the Nordic track was commandeered. (laughs) And um, this gentleman walked past the Stairmasters, and all of my clients from my class were, like, egging me on to speak to him (laughs) so all i did was say no nordic track today to this man (laughs) passing by and that man just took the bait and was talking to me and talking to me and talking to me and talking Mm -hmm. to me and um he asked me out and um it was a long road Mm -hmm. but um it was a beautiful road and he taught me about love and he taught me about friendship mm-hmm. and he saw me and he got me and he he held me and he made me feel safe. Yeah. Yeah. And he still 33 years later makes me feel mm-hmm.
0: safe. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah, it makes me think about, you wrote about this a little bit, but how we get hurt in the context of relationships and also so much healing happens in the context of relationships as well. Yes. I
1: think that um, relationship is key at all points of our life. Um, I shared in this week's newsletter about... Um, our newly adopted grandson, and he was abandoned at birth.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the serious effects, because it's our attachments, mm-hmm. you know, our early attachments that help us be able to um, set us up for our development and our ability to be in relationship in our lives. Mm-hmm. And that little baby, when my son and his wife. Got him over two weeks after he had been born. He, for for it's a miracle that he's alive. You know, he no longer cried because nobody heard his cries. Yeah. He didn't know what touch was. Nobody had ever given him a warm bottle of milk, let alone a warm breast. Mm-hmm. And um, even my husband and I, when we would babysit for him, on the in the early days. He had true attachment issues and deep, deep, deep fears.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: And so, but the power of relationship and the power of love mm-hmm. that they have poured into it is just a perfect example of how important it is for our, for us as parents to truly pour unconditional love into our children.
0: Yeah, do you want to talk more about parenting? Does that feel... Does this feel like a good time to talk more about parenting or about your journey with your own children? Um, I'd be happy to. Um, we have three boys.
1: And my intention when writing Finding I Eye was not only to share my story in hopes that it opened the door for other people, but also to shed light on the long-term transgenerational effects of childhood abuse. And because I am a person who experienced childhood trauma, I did carry it forward. Mm-hmm. And I have three beautiful, beautiful sons, but they too struggle with various different anxiety issues or, and more than that. Because it can show up in this in the most interesting ways, I think I, I, I was a wonderful parent. There's no question about it. I mean, I wanted to do
0: everything that my parents had not done. Um, Yeah, I mean, as a side note to that, when I read your story, I mean, you're remarkable. You have such an interesting story and you've done so many things. And I could just tell from the way that you write about parenting and about your boys, just how much love you have for them and how good you were to them. And you. you write about playing with them and being their mom. And so I was struck by the contrast of how you parented versus how you were parented, because I know that takes a lot of intentionality in order to be able to do that. Thank you.
1: Yes. They were everything to me. I promised. They, when each one was born, it was my promise to them that they would be seen, they would be held, I would be there. Mm-hmm. I think that what I wonder is because I do tend to be fearful Maybe I held their hand too tight. maybe I didn't let them jump off that branch that they should have been able to jump off that branch. I wish that I could take away any all of their struggles. I wish i could i, could, I wish I could heal their Not their quite. own brokenness, but you know it is it is never Jen it's never too late because I will share with you, and I don't know. We have been given an opportunity opportunity as parents of sons that are out in the world that have their own struggles Mm -hmm. to love them unconditionally when their journey is very hard. Yeah. And it is incredible for us to witness Mm -hmm what providing that deep compassion, that deep empathy, that just being there. Yeah. How it helps them continue to move forward fearlessly, you know, in in spite of the things that, you know, that they may be going through, they they know that we are there and they can always depend on the fact that we are there. And so I guess that's a continuation of what I tried to give them as children. Mm -hmm. Um, But the job never ends. It's not a but, it's and the job never ends. And we as parents can have profound effects on our children even when they are out of the house married have their own
0: children, great careers. Yeah. I love that you're talking about that. It's making me think of a couple of things. You know, one is, is I think we, it's true. We always want to protect our kids. And I think especially maybe parents in general, but especially as moms, it's easy to take on, you know, guilt and blame and shame about things that you know, we wish that we would have either done differently or manifestations or things that come up with our kids. And we feel like you know, we internalize that as our fault. Um, and I, and I also think that the truth is, is, you know, there's Dan Siegel talks about good enough parenting. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it's like, kids actually don't need perfect parents. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause it's not a perfect world. Right. Oh. And so what they need is parents who, and I I tell myself this because parenting is so hard sometimes, right? But it's like, can we try to get it right? Can we try to love them unconditionally? Can we try to pay attention to their needs and to be attentive? And also when we get it wrong, you know, can we repair with them and can we, um, apologize and, you know, and, and that's actually what they need because in their real lives outside of our house, or not that this isn't real life, but in their, their lives outside of our house, it's like, things are going to happen. Conflict will happen. Stuff will happen in their lives. And, um, and we can't protect them from all that, but we can, I think, you know, teach them about repair, teach them about, you know, moving through hard situations and hard things. And, and so, you know, I think, in a really beautiful way you're modeling to your sons right what the healing journey can look like and I think everyone has to go through that to some degree you know everyone has to go through some version hopefully not you know I know you've been through so so much um but I think everyone has to come to like finding themselves and um and even our kids have to go through that process and so I love what you're saying though. too. Dan Siegel also talks about just like, you know, attachment and healing being possible throughout the lifespan and that we can always become closer. We can always work on ourselves and work on our relationships. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you've done a beautiful job with that. I mean, I think that was something I really was touched by throughout the book too. And, you know, I do want to say, maybe to our listeners that your experience might not be just like this and that's okay too. But one of the things that best talks about is she has so much. Um, I don't know. You have, you were a person of a lot of like spirituality and um, I don't know if you would call it faith, but yeah, spirituality and, you know, connectedness and it feels like you really worked hard at healing some of the relationships from early on in your life with your dad and with your siblings so I wonder if maybe you can talk a little bit about that um, just because I think that like your heart and all of that that would be so hard to do you know and I think um, in a way you did such a beautiful job or you've done such a beautiful job of like having compassion, which I think sometimes is part of the healing process, not the same as permission, right? Not not the same as permissiveness or it's okay, but you've had compassion for people even who have hurt your hurt you. But then also having that same compassion for yourself. So that was a lot, but I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about, you know, your experiences of 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 having some healing in your relationships. I feel so blessed. That
1: by my relationship with God, Mm -hmm. that is my I. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a long journey to find I, find Mm -hmm. God, and know that he exists or she exists within me. Mm -hmm. And it is that relationship that I am able now to sit across from you and know that and see your spirit inside of you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was that grace that allowed me one day to be able to see my father as the man as, that he is, as the child of God that he was, that mm-hmm. the spirit that he was and it was in that moment that allowed me to let go of all of the pain of the past mm. and embrace the moment of being with him yeah and if i had not been able to do that i would not have had the joy and the blessing of the last 3 years of his life and got to know him mm and care for him Mm -hmm. and find peace inside of myself. And I think that the saying that hurt people hurt people is true, so it doesn't mean that that hurt person is a bad person. Mm -hmm. They may have done hurtful things Mm -hmm. but were they hurt as well yeah and so with my siblings I just open was able to open my heart and see them for who they are and love them Mm -hmm. it just for me it just the forgiving was easy
2: yeah
1: um it just really it just came from my heart and that means that you know i was blessed by the spirit to be able to
2: mm-hmm.
0: see them for who they were yeah and it seemed like there were two things and you know you can totally correct me if i'm wrong but it seemed like there were two things one was when you your dad was in the hospital and you saw him in that like vulnerable state yes and all of a sudden it was like oh like these things were done to me but I am not like there was some sort of separation that happened all of a sudden where it was like there's nothing wrong with me or like I'm not bad these things were done to me is that right yes
2: oh yes thank
0: you and that seemed to really help you to see your dad in a different way
1: yes absolutely um So the things that happened to me are, they were just things that happened to me. But I am here, and I am not hurt, and I am here for a purpose, Mm -hmm. and I want to love, and I want to give back. And my mother... my mother had alzheimer's and um there was a, it reached the point where we needed to move my mother to a um facility for her safety mm. and um in that act it brought the children together in a way mm. that we had not been able to be together and It opened the door for communication. And then all of a sudden, we just began to pour out all the love that my mother had poured into us, into each other. Wow. And we learned to say, I love you. Mm -hmm. And now I think all of the siblings the first thing they do is say, I love you. The Mm -hmm. last thing they say before they pass, you know, before you don't see them is, I love you. Um, I think that that's what my mother taught us. And and in that, there was great forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Again, the things that happened to the various different, members of the family are things that happen to them but can we keep our hearts open and love each other and support each other and Mm -hmm. be there for each other and Mm -hmm. for who we are yeah
0: Yeah. beyond
1: our past and our woundedness and our brokenness
0: yeah definitely so excited to tell you about the sponsor for today's show real t-i-t They specialize in websites for real estate, but they are also able to design a custom website for any industry. They just created a new custom website for me that I absolutely love. You can check it out at JenAlley.com. To learn more, visit RealtyIT, that's R-E-A-L-T-Y-I-T.com, and fill out a contact form to get started on creating your dream website. I will link Real TIT as well as my own new website in the show notes. So you can check it out back to the show. In a way you, when I read your book, it felt like you have like this sort of like, I mean, of course you talk about the desire and the need, the biological need that we have to belong and to be a part of and how that felt like you didn't have that for a really long time. And it also feels like there was a part of you that has always just been seeking that. And even like, you're very much a peacemaker, you know, like going and taking care of your dad despite everything. Right. And then even it seems like you're, you've been a bridge in a lot of ways, even with your siblings. Does that feel right to you that you seem to, I mean, you seem to have just this like gift Or this way of being that you know you emanate love. Mm, thank you. Oh, I'm I'm deeply touched. I'm deeply
1: grateful for your words. Um, I, it, I think it's just something in me. Mm. And maybe it was just maybe it's the little girl who wanted so desperately to be loved. Mm. And uh,
0: now I can love everybody mm. because I am loved.
2: Mm. It's
0: beautiful. So, Bess, one of the things that you talk about in the book that I think is important because this seems really common to me from, you know, as a trauma therapist, working with survivors of all kinds of different trauma and abuse um, is this internalized shame and this sense of, like, there's something wrong with me or there's something bad about me. You talk about your earlier experiences of feeling like, God would never, will never love me. Um, and even like demons that were alive in your mind to make you feel less than or add to your self doubt and, you know, just like an internalized sense of not feeling worthy. Yes. Um, and that feels important. I mean, I think everyone experiences shame, but it does feel particularly important to talk about with trauma that that is a very common experience for survivors to have that. So I just wondered like where, how you, how that feels to you today. I mean, you definitely have already talked about how you feel like you've transitioned into a sense of like, God loves me and I am love. But I just wonder about, you know, the anxieties, the demons that you talk about, how you feel toward yourself and um, just whatever you feel comfortable sharing about how that feels today.
1: That's a wonderful question. Uh, It's actually a really important question. The trauma has truly affected, as I said earlier, the way that I view life. If someone doesn't respond to a text, I think I've done something wrong. Yeah. Like a hypervigilance. Yes. Um, Constantly. Um, If I'm going to swim, I am sure that I'm going to fail.
2: Yeah.
1: If my son doesn't respond to a phone call, he doesn't love me anymore. Yeah. I, I'm uh, constantly feeling as if I am not good enough. Yeah. And, you know, it will make me shake physically. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Um, if I know that I have a social engagement, uh, my I will get sores on my tongue because i'm afraid mm-hmm. that i'm going to have to say something mm-hmm. talk to people mm-hmm. i am constantly thinking that somebody's going to find out that i'm a fake yeah that i'm not worthy yeah that i shouldn't shouldn't be here mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. i'm never good enough mm-hmm. no matter how hard i mm-hmm. i try
2: mm-hmm.
1: so those demons still live full time
0: in me which can I interject something there I I think it's important to say for a second thought um one of the things that I work with clients around and you know they do feel like demons but what I want to say is that these parts of us They have learned important things about trying to keep us safe. And it might sound like counterintuitive. You know, it might feel like, well, how does anxiety keep me safe? Or how does self-doubt or shame keep me safe? But many times, once you've done some work around these different things, you can get in touch with like this part actually has a very protective position. And so even though it's causing me these problems, there's a high cost There's usually a part of us from a long time ago that is still working very hard operating from this, you know, this five-year-old or this 12-year-old that knows that in order to keep me safe, I have to do this thing or I have to behave in these ways. And so I just want to like interject that for a moment because I think everyone has their version of, you know, what Bess is calling demons, but also there's usually a lot of coherence around why these parts do the things that they do to try to keep us safe and a little bit like a computer part of what certain therapies can do. But again, you know, we're not saying like we're going to get rid of all these things, but part of what certain therapies can do is help update those old operating systems. But, you know, Again, we have many different parts and there's a lot of layers. And when those things get triggered, it's understandable that it's going to manifest in these difficult ways. So I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just want to kind of interject that.
1: No, I'm so glad that you did because it is true. It's the fact that it is the old operating systems. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Um, Those are the things that as a child I started doing, you know, in order to protect myself. Totally. And so it's relearning. And um, it's pushing past them. Instead of them letting taking complete control, mm-hmm. which they would like to, um, it's practicing grounding, practicing breathing, pa- practicing mm-hmm. pausing, coming back to the present all of the wonderful tools Mm -hmm. that I have been collecting in my toolbox that, um, you know, makes me be able to be here and enjoy the moment. And for sure.
0: Yeah. I think, and you talk a lot about like mindfulness and meditation in your book. Um, and it seems like that's in yoga. And I, I want to say too that like that's an example where, What Bess is talking about is, you know, even when we have this like voice that comes up that says like we're not good enough is like instead of operating from that position, can we notice that that's just a part of us that like has this old knowing and it's trying to protect us. And if we can get curious and we can kind of separate from it, we do get to have a lot more. I don't know what the word is, but a lot more ability to choose what the next step is, right? Instead of being kind of hijacked by that part. And we can't always do it. Sometimes we're going to be hijacked by the anxiety or by the shame, and that's normal too. Oh, that's absolutely, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. So Bess, there were a lot of other things while we're on the topic of demons that you have experienced as a result of all the trauma, including and in having you know trouble with bulimia and nightmares and night terrors, feeling like there's arms grabbing you, yes. right even small strong smells that awake us. We know that you know trauma lives in our body and so and it lives in our neural networks. and so, these, these networks get touched and awakened. And then, you know, as a consequence, having things like depression, anxiety, addiction, bulimia, fear of intimacy, and, a, and, an, and an inability to trust. And I just bring all that just to ask you a little bit about your experience with those things, but also for our listeners to normalize that these are symptoms – Of trauma right there this is what happens in our bodies as it tries to make sense of the you know horrors that many people experience in childhood and even through adulthood so do you want to talk about a little bit about any of those things that stand out to you just about the things that you've had to struggle with i'm a perfect case of childhood trauma all
1: the things that they um the neuroscientists and behavioral health scientists um, today have gleaned um, the deep physical ramifications of um, childhood abuse. I did, I, uh, I struggled with um, body dysmorphia. Uh, surely when I look in the mirror, I see a fat person, not the person that I am. I struggled with bulimia. I struggled with addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, I struggled... I, I experienced cancer scare. Yeah. And, of course, depression and suicide ideation and night terrors. I still greatly struggle with night terrors. It does live in your body.
2: Yeah.
1: And... It is. Um, I think it was Dr. Bruce Perry who coined the frame, uh, the, the phrase, you know, instead of "What's the matter with you?" What happened to you? That's right. And I think that these were all signs, but I did not know that they were signs. I did not know that it was the way my body was crying out mm-hmm. for help. So, if anyone listening, you know, has been hurt in their past and are experiencing any of these, real life issues. It could be a result of uh, early childhood trauma.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it feels important to say there that, you know, a lot of times people compare trauma and suffering and, um, you know, particularly in this situation, we're talking to someone who experienced so much trauma. And I also want to say that if you, as the listener, experienced some of experienced some of these symptoms but you feel like there's a tendency to want to like minimize your experience like well it wasn't that bad or like I didn't have all these experiences but I just want to say that there's no such thing as like you know com- like comparing trauma is not helpful it's more just like how your body experienced and what it went through and that minimizing or shaming ourselves for those symptoms that we're experiencing is so unhelpful because it's just like a a normal part of what happens when we've experienced trauma and it's going to look different like I bet even sibling to sibling in your family bus it like everyone probably has symptoms of the trauma but I also imagine that it's played out differently in each person and that's just that's how things go I mean everyone just metabolizes trauma in different ways that's very important because yes i did experience a lot of uh childhood
1: abuse but that's my story and each person's story is their own and it is real and it is valid Mm -hmm. and maybe you were you know bullied and but the damage that it has done to you is you know important, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, not to be minimized, as you said, because we live in a very insensitive world. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, trauma can happen Mm -hmm. and come at you in places that you did not expect. Mm -hmm. And then if you find yourself staring in the mirror too long or not eating that because you are afraid or eating it and then throwing up, you know, or if you find yourself getting sick all the time, mm-hmm. your story is important. You know, yeah. It's your
0: body is telling you, your body is talking to you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes screaming at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it feels maybe also important to say with thought that there's also, it's also true that people who have witnessed violence or trauma. So if you grew up in a Family, maybe where the violence wasn't directed toward you, but you were witnessing violence, that also you will likely have, you know, PTSD or various forms of trauma still showing up for you. And people really, I think, have a hard time with that. Like, well, what's wrong with me that I didn't even experience this? It wasn't happening to me. But your body doesn't know the difference. Like when you're watching someone you love, like your mother, you know, be abused or something like that, you're still internalizing that as danger and a threat to your system and to your survival. And so I just want to point that out, that if you're a person who didn't experience violence or trauma directly, but you witnessed it, you may also be experiencing some of these symptoms. Yes. So when I was young
1: and still living at at my parents' house, I just couldn't take it anymore.
0: Sure, of course.
1: And uh, so I had gone out and there were our woods behind my parents there were woods behind my parents' house and I had smoked some pot and left the house and really was committed to committing suicide. Yeah. And um, I went to the busiest street that was near our house, and and it was pitch black. It was in the middle of the night, and I lied myself down in the middle of the road, um, praying that a car would come and run over me. And finally, a car was coming, and I felt such great relief, like finally this is going to be over. But the next thing that I knew was that I was on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. You know, other than, you know, having uh, stones in my hair and on my legs and everywhere, um, I was unharmed. And the car was not there. And I got up and I went back home and showered. And when I went to school the next day, the the priest who was teaching religion class took us outside to uh, just to have class outside it was a beautiful spring day mm-hmm. and he started talking about god and mm-hmm. god living in us and around us and in the flowers and the trees and mm-hmm. the sky and and sent us off into nature to have our own personal experience
2: mm-hmm.
1: of God and I was alone and I was sitting on a tree stump and took my shoes off and put them in these pines and there was a breeze that went across my cheek and all of a sudden the tears were streaming down my face and I could feel God's presence and I knew Mm -hmm. that God had moved me off the road.
2: Wow. Because I
1: should not have... I shouldn't be here today.
2: Yes, yeah.
1: my spiritual life is the most important thing to me. It keeps me grounded.
0: So that's yes, one of the things that you talk about um, toward the end of the book. Is you just a sense of "I" and you put it in quotes. I felt safe. I felt loved. I belonged. I mattered. And you also talk about feeling in that moment that you felt surrounded by your mother's essence and feeling safe and feeling loved. But I thought something that was really powerful that you said there is you said, I was just a little girl and young woman when these things happened to me, but they were things that happened to me. They were not me. They did not define the me inside and the me inside did not do anything to make those things happen to me. I was more than the things that happened to me. And I wanted to embrace that I and hold her and rock her and tell her that I loved her. And I loved that so much because... What I found in my practice of working with people is is that there's such a huge healing that happens when we can be compassionate and tender and really um, like witness the younger parts of ourselves with love and with kindness instead of with judgment Mm -hmm. and harshness, like that there's such a healing part of that and that that was also then, you know, this sense of you also transitioning to knowing i can be a shelter for others and i can love and i can forgive and that this was part of your journey in finding i so i just love that but i want if you want to say anything about it i just love that part of the book
1: <laughs> i think those words say it all mm, they really
0: do yeah, they, they really do, do. Yeah.
1: i mean um it's that moment when you find that and you realize that, that you truly experience, or I did, you know, self-compassion. Yeah. And there is so much power and healing and Mm self-compassion. Because as a, you know, a survivor of childhood abuse, loving yourself is not top on the priority list. And so... That's a very
0: important step in healing, and in, in, in being able to move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is there so for our listener who maybe resonates in some ways with your story, or is just like, I don't even know who I am, and this feels daunting and scary. You know, I'm wondering, is there any advice you would give them, or anything you would want to tell them if you were with them?
1: It's okay to share your story. You will learn that you are not alone. I have been surprised by the men and women who have come forward and shared with me their stories. They're all different. Mm. I think it's important that we, I, I loved your word, normalize mm. our experiences mm. so that we don't feel alone and and, and we don't get sick <laughs> unnecessarily, that um, w- you know we can stop this cycle mm. of um being hurt and hurting others mm. i think the scariest part is just saying what's your truth because it's your truth and it's it's who you are and there's so much more on the other side of saying the truth mm. So much more than not saying it and being silent. Mm.
0: Can you say more about that? Like what is for you on the other side of sharing your story and telling the truth? I
1: spent my life in silence, secrecy, and shame. I, I struggled with all the things that we've already discussed and my health and my... My physical health, my mental health, mm-hmm. my relationships. Um, now I have the ability to own
0: my life. I mm-hmm. have the ability to own my story. I have mm-hmm.
2: I have
1: self-love.
0: Yeah, I love that. So on the other side of sharing your story, you can find what we call integration and therapy land, which is just like there's so many, a lot of times orphaned parts of ourselves that, like, We've like tried to push or shove away or we feel like those parts are unlovable. And so there's something I think you're right about sharing our story in safe places that can help us to feel more whole and to love even those parts of us that are hard to love sometimes or at least have compassion for those parts. And that can lead to more wholeness and then more love for yourself. I love that. Yeah. Bess, is there anything else you want to leave us with or share with us today? I
1: am just so grateful that you want to talk about this mm-hmm. and allowing people to hear my story and hopefully mm-hmm. open up the door for them to share their stories. Mm-hmm. And let's protect our children and yeah stop child abuse as best as we can.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your story and for doing all that you're doing to try to educate the public and to try to help people to share their stories of trauma and to, you know, to stop childhood abuse. I think you're right. It's like just generations passing down generation after generation of this, like abuse and trauma. That is actually maybe a curious question. One of the words you used in your book was like, let's start the revolution. And I was wondering for you, like, what is that revolution? Like, what does that mean? Um, Nadine Burke Harris, the, um,
1: California for Surgeon General, female mm-hmm. f- um, Surgeon General. She's the one um, in her book, she asks us all, she calls us all to stand, to start a revolution, to you know bring an end to um, childhood abuse. Mm-hmm. And I want to hold hands with her, and I want everybody else to hold hands so that we can... Create an awareness and mm-hmm. begin to do something yeah. to to stop this cycle. Um, I want to be part of conversation to just move the dial. You know, we have breast cancer awareness month. We have not smoking awareness month. You know, so on and so forth. But why don't we have stop child abuse? Absolutely.
0: Month? Well, thanks for being a voice. Where can people find your book and also find you? I, I know you have a newsletter, but where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Oh, thank you. Um,
1: the book is available on Amazon, Finding I: A Journey of Repair. And um, we have a website, all lowercase, dot org.
0: Very good. And I will also link um, the book and... Await that Bess's website and you can sign up for her newsletter from there. Yes. And also I will link the adverse childhood experiences questionnaire at the in the show notes as well. Great. So to close, I wanted Bess to read the poem that she has at the beginning of her book. Seeing with the heart. She in
1: the dark found light. Brighter than many ever see, she, within herself, found loveliness through the soul's own mastery, and now the world receives from her dowry the message of the strength of inner power. Langston Hughes.
0: That's beautiful. Bess, thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate you sharing your story.
1: Thank you, Jen. Yeah.
0: I so appreciate you taking the time to listen to today's episode. I'm so grateful to Bess for sharing her story with us and helping us to learn more about the impact of adverse childhood experiences. I did want to say, of course, if something, you know, felt hard for you or painful for you today, as you listen to this, if this touched something in you that I really encourage you to, of course, talk with trusted people in your life or to seek therapy particularly someone who specializes in trauma and experiential therapies. I also wanted to say that Bess shared that any book sale profits beyond publishing and the findingeye.org website operating expenses will be donated to ACE-related charities or research. Again, ACE just stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. Thank you so much again for joining us on Between the Two of Us. If you found today's show helpful, it would be so meaningful to me if you could share this episode with a friend or share it on social media please also be sure to tag me on instagram you can follow me over on instagram at jen.ally.therapist it also is really helpful if you subscribe so you don't miss an episode the show notes for today can be found on www.jenally.com or wherever you listen to your podcast thanks so much we'll see you next time